When the shepherds were terrified, the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And what exactly is the news? How is it good? Why does it cause great joy for all the people? And when the heavenly hosts proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests, what does that mean? Last night's reflection was entitled Angels with Good News Part 1. Welcome to Part 2. As we said last night, at the heart of this good news the angels announced and sang about is, is the fact that in Christ God became one of us. And the ripple effects from that event flow outward and are nearly invisible from this nearly invisible detonation of wonder and grace and goodness all the way to the present and then beyond. The news last night and again this morning was that a Savior has been born to the shepherds and to us and that He was the Messiah and the Lord. And we just heard the passage read once more. Notice that unlike when the angel visited Mary and Joseph, the shepherds did not get a name. They got three titles instead. Savior, Messiah, which means Christ, it's translated as Christ sometime, and Lord. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Each of these titles were also used to refer to emperors. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor at the time of Jesus' birth and early part of his life, was sometimes given the title of Savior and Lord. And although this phrase doesn't appear in our passage, in other places it does, and sometimes Caesar Augustus was referred to as the son of a god. How did those shepherds hear this good news then? Well, they heard it differently than you and I might hear it today. For them, it was a tangible political promise at work in the words of the angel. This was the promise of a new earthly king, their understanding of the Messiah, who would rule over them, who would restore the kingdom to Israel and turn the tables on Rome or anyone else who was oppressing them, and most provocatively, replace Caesar Augustus. To those who first heard these words, they were a promise of a reversal of all things and the downfall of the emperor. They were a promise of some of the very things, if you remember, that Mary said or sang in her Magnificat. He, God, has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. My son-in-law, E.A., will tell you that his favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard with Bruce Willis. We always give him a hard time about that, of course, but I heard on the Holy Post podcast this past week that you can even get a diehard Advent calendar. (laughs) I see some of you have seen R-rated movies. Way to go. This calendar is a 3D representation of the Nakatomi Plaza, the tower in the film, and the guy falling there is the bad guy, Hans Gruber falling to his death. He falls 25 floors, and when he gets to the bottom and hits the ground, it's Christmas. Sky Jatani, co-host of the podcast, suggested tongue-in-cheek that the whole idea was actually rather biblical. It depicts the powerful, after all, being thoroughly removed from power and brought to the lowest possible place. We'll go to the title. So, Oh, I didn't put the title there. Leave it. That is not far. That picture of the falling is not far from what the shepherds and others would have expected when they heard this good news. This good news of a king who is Savior and Lord and Son of God. 
But there's something more going on than that. This, this Messiah will reign over all, but in a different way. He will not reign by conquering his enemies, but by loving them and forgiving them. He will not reign in victory, but in death. He will not wield the power of the sword, but with the cross. He will win by losing. And there is simply no way the shepherds could have fully known everything that God was doing, let alone how God was going to accomplish it. They couldn't have known. I'm thinking maybe I'm going to write a song. Shepherds, did you know? (laughs) Shepherds, did you know that this newborn king would never take up the sword? Shepherds, did you know that Bruce Willis fans would one day be so bored? No? Okay, maybe not. And then when the heavenly host appear and begin praising God, they proclaim that is something that is apparently not that easy to translate from Greek and something that honestly in the various gospels, uh, manuscripts of the gospel of Luke is different at times. Says it a little differently. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the heavenly host praised God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The tricky part is the last phrase on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, if you've been on planet earth long enough, or if you've watched Linus read this passage in the Peanuts Christmas special, you may remember that the old King James version of the Bible translates the words, Uh, of the heavenly host this way and on earth peace goodwill toward men compare that with what we just read in the niv and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests the english standard version even says peace among those with whom god is pleased many translations will have a footnote that tells you it could go either way depending on which manuscript we go with see the question is who gets who receives peace on earth Does peace on earth and goodwill come to all people, as the King James Version seems to suggest? Or are the NIV and the ESV correct in what appears to be a more exclusive, a narrower blessing? The implication is that some people are not in God's favor. Some people are excluded from the blessings of the birth of Christ. Only those on whom God's favor rests will receive, will inherit peace on earth. But just above this, just above this verse, in verse 10, when the angel first gave the good news of great joy, the shepherds were told that the good news would cause great joy for all the people. Now, to be fair, when these Jewish shepherds heard that phrase, for all the people, they would have thought that it meant for all our people, the Israelites. The word can be used to refer to a specific tribe or nation. But once again, the words uttered by the heavenly host meant more than seemed obvious at the time. You see, their their announcement uses some of the same wording, some of the same phrases often used in proclamations of the emperor at the time. And in those statements, that kind of terminology was always meant for all of humanity, not just the Romans. They would say, Because this emperor has risen to the throne or this emperor has been born, the whole world is going to be better off for it, not just the Romans. Those shepherds, like the disciples who will come later, could not 
see or conceive of the wideness of God's mercy or the far-reaching purposes of God's plan. Commentator Joel Green says that these words do indeed promise peace on earth for those whom God favors, but, quote, he adds, that graciousness extends to humanity. It should not be read in an exclusive sense, that is, not peace only to a select group whom he favors, but in an inclusive way, in the birth of this child, God's mercy has fallen on the world. In the birth of this child, God's mercy has fallen on the world. End quote. By the sheer act of a birth of the birth of a Savior, of God coming to us in the flesh, God's favor now rests on all people, not just the people of Israel. Peace comes to us on earth because Christ has been born to us. Peace with God, yes, absolutely. But the Hebrew word that those shepherds would have heard is the word shalom, a word that means far more than what we most often mean when we say the word peace. Shalom is not merely the absence of conflict. It is well-being, it is health, it is prosperity, and it is the absence of war. It is a positive, full, robust, all-encompassing peace, an inescapable, permeating peace. A peace that none of us has ever fully experienced, but all of us long for on a very deep level. Shalom is a peace that none of us have ever experienced. Not to its fullest extent, but that all of us long for on a deep level, even if it is subconsciously. What we celebrated last night, what we celebrate this morning, is a profound event. True, it sometimes gets fuzzy and out of focus because of all the other things that are happening this time of year. But make no mistake, friends. What happened in a stable in Bethlehem, what the angels sang about, what the shepherds proclaimed to others, is weighty and profound. It is so profound that it will require the rest of our lives and beyond for us to fully comprehend it, let alone be able to live in harmony with it. For the birth of God in the flesh does not stop with the infant in the manger. The child will grow up to become the primary means by which God's love and God's character and God's nature are communicated to us and mediated to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 puts it this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God has always been communicating with humanity through his written word, through the law handed down through his people, through the prophets who were sent to proclaim his message many times at many times and in various ways, the author says. But God goes way beyond all of that when he sends us his son, whom the author refers to as the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. To say that Jesus is the radiance or the brightness or the luminosity of God's glory is to say that in Christ, the true nature of God shines forth into the world like never before. Whatever we may have understood in part in the past is now made crystal clear in the Word made flesh in Jesus Christ. 
If we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. If we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. To say that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being, more literally, is to say that Jesus is the imprint. Some translations say that. Is the imprint of God's being. The word translated as exact representation or imprint is literally a stamping tool. Perhaps one of the best images we might use is that of a signet ring. In ancient times, and even in our Old Testaments, a king would wear a signet ring on his finger and use it as an imprint on a small amount of soft wax to sign and seal important decrees and statements. It was the imprint. It was an exact representation of his authority. That is who Jesus is to us. Jesus, the Son of God, is the exact imprint the signet ring of God. Jesus fully represents God and who God is. And now it's time for Fun With Words, the Christmas edition. That word translated as exact representation in the Greek, as I said, is a stamping tool. The Greek word for that stamping tool is karaktar. Karaktar. Which sounds a lot like an English word that came down from the Greek to the Latin, to the French, does anybody know what that word might be? Character. <laughs> character. The character of God. Everybody's a comedian. <laughs> the character of God. That works really, really well. Jesus shows us who God truly is. Any other thoughts we might have about God or God's nature must not conflict with the character of Jesus. Now I ask you, on this Christmas morning, when we remember and celebrate that in Christ Jesus, God came to us in the flesh, what are we to do with this good news that causes great joy for all the people? It's really simple. If Christ Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact character of God, if Christ Jesus is the radiance, the brightness, the luminosity of God's glory, God's very nature, then we would do well. We would do well for ourselves and for the whole world to come to know Christ more and more. Indeed, we would do well to make it our life's purpose to know Him more intimately and to follow Him more closely. And that will take some intention on our part. This is not about doing more than we can do or setting some unreasonable goal. It's about doing what we can. Do as you can, not as you can. In the coming weeks, via our weekly e-letter, this week and the next, and on Sunday mornings, we are going to point you in that direction, and we are going to ex extend an ongoing invitation to draw that you would draw near to God in Christ. For Scripture teaches us that if we draw near to God, the God who is already not far from us, God will draw near to us. So the invitation is clear. In the next few months and in the year to come, let us all, to the degree that we can, spend time in the Gospels, the first four books of our New Testaments, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of you will take the challenge to read three chapters a day, which will take you through all four Gospels in one month. And maybe you'll do that three months during the next season here that we're going into. Others will choose a more attainable and slower pace, taking three months to go through one gospel. Maybe throughout the year you go through all four. 
Some will read on their own. Some will find a plan they can use. Some will have it read to them via podcast. Do as you can, not as you can't. Friends, Jesus is God in the flesh, the Son of God, the truest ever representation of God's nature, God's character, and the brightness of his glory. If we want to know God, and we know that the way we best see and know God is through Christ, the exact representation of God's character, then we have to get to know Jesus. And if we want to know Jesus, we have to spend time in the Gospels. You don't have to read them all in one month. You don't have to read them all, whatever, in a year. Just read them. Just sit with them. In the birth of Christ, in his life, in his teaching, in his miracles, in his death, in his resurrection, God has drawn near to us. God has made the first move, the most important move. Let us now choose to draw near to God today and in the year to come. Would you pray with me as we close? God, we thank you that in Christ you have indeed drawn near to us. We thank you, God, for the gift of the Christ child whose birth we celebrate. We pray, God, that as we leave this place, as we step offline, as we enter back into the celebrations of the day, help us to be mindful of what it is we celebrate this day. Help us to be mindful of your calling upon us that we would know the Christ whom you sent to us. And help us, Lord God, to make the commitment that is best for us, to do what we can to draw near to you in the person of Christ who is revealed to us in the Gospels. We pray that you, God, would receive all the honor and glory for all that might happen in us and through us because we have done so. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.